What an exciting day this is. You know, we go through those 40 days of Lent, and they're somber, and we focus on the crucifixion and what our Lord endured, and how exciting it is then to come together on this day where everything's changed and to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. You know, it is also, though, April Fool's. Now, I know that we don't want that to overshadow the day, but it is somewhat important. It doesn't happen that often that April Fool's falls on Easter. I think the last time was 1956. And you know, as Steve mentioned, the ultimate April Fool's joke was on Satan, that Jesus was alive again. I wanted to start this morning, I thought, I said to Pastor Mark, what about if I come out and I say, you know, isn't it really sad what happened after the game last night? Well, that they disqualified Michigan. They did drug testing and they all had steroids, so Loyola won. (laughs) And he's like, no, I don't think that'll work. Somebody might believe it. They might look at that. Why are we talking about April Fools during Easter? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there's a historical theologian by the name of Dr. Stephen Ware who wrote a book, When Jesus Was Really Born. And based on the Gregorian calendar, based on looking at the Passover cycles, all sorts of numbers and things like that, he proposes that the actual weekend of the resurrection took place for April 1st really was the ultimate April Fool's joke. And it somewhat seems a little appropriate, doesn't it? As we are here today and we hear about a Jewish carpenter's son who was killed by Romans and then we're proclaiming that he rose again. I mean, really, isn't that one of those things that the world would go, seriously? You really believe that? It does belong on an April Fool's joke. Maybe that's you today out there. Maybe you're here for different reasons. Maybe you come out of family obligation. Maybe it's just tradition. And maybe you're thinking, hey, this is 2018. We know people don't rise from the dead. So what can this mean to me? What about this resurrection? Why are you going to talk about it? And more than that, what if it isn't true? What if it is just a hoax? What if it never happened? Wouldn't that just simply be pathetic? You know, I want you to know if that's where you're coming from today, you're in good company. Because there were those 2,000 years ago that said the same things. In fact, they said to promote this if it isn't true, to promote this if it's a hoax, it's downright dangerous. I want you to see this on the slide from Matthew, what was written. And it says this, the next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that this deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. You know, things like chocolate bunnies with carrots are funny, and things like making you believe that Michigan didn't win the game, that's something funny. But to talk about someone that we say, a Jewish rabbi who rose, who is the savior of the world, who came to give us hope and life and strength, and if that's not true, then it's just wrong. And again, I'm not the only one who ever had those sentiments. 
You know, things that happen and hoaxes that take place sometimes can go terribly wrong and can cause people great devastation. It made me think about 1938, where very few of us were alive then. But when Orson Welles did his broadcast of War of the Worlds, I'm sure you've heard of it and read of it, there was a panic. People thought that Martians were actually invading the earth. Or maybe more recently, the residents of Hawaii on January 13 woke up at 8 o'clock in the morning to see the following text hit their cell phones. It said this, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter, this is not a drill. There was panic. There was dread. It turned out it was a mouse, a computer mouse mistake. Instead of clicking on the test, they clicked on the actual. That's all it took. You know, the headline the next day read this, the Hawaii alert was an accident. The dread it inspired wasn't. Dread from something that isn't true. That's just tragic, isn't it? You know, one of the greatest skeptics of the resurrection in Jesus' time was a man named Saul of Tarsus. In fact, he hated this notion so much that he called it of the resurrection that he persecuted the church. He went and got letters from those that were in power in order to imprison and to lock up anybody who said that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. After his conversion took place, he writes about how tragic it would be if what we're talking about today, what we're celebrating today, wasn't true. He says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we of all people most, are most to be pitied. If it's a hoax, it's to be pitied. It's sad. We pack up, let's go home, let's forget this. I don't even know why we get together every week. So it makes me wonder and ask the question, are we, does the world look at us today as Easter fools? That we believe something that seems so impossible. And I want to say to you, no, because there's evidence to consider, and I want to look at some of that evidence this morning. And it should be weighed, and it should be considered, and there's a preponderance of it. And I don't have time to go through all of it, but I want to look surrounding this Easter story this morning. Just three points. Three points. I want to look at who the people, the eyewitnesses were in this story, how many of them there were, and what they were. And I'll explain that as we go along. First, who were they? Now, here's the thing. In Jesus' day and age, ladies, if you were alive then, you weren't given much credibility. You weren't given much value. You couldn't testify in court. No one would believe you because you were a woman. You were looked down on. You were persecuted. You were treated without value. And what we see again and again in the Gospels in Jesus is Jesus elevating the station, empowering women, giving them strength, reaching out to them, crossing barriers, letting people know how valuable and how equal they are with the rest of God's creation. And so it's incredible that this first Easter story should be told first and foremost to women. 
What didn't they believe when they heard it? They didn't believe that it was true, but they went and told it anyway. And what happened when they told it to the disciples? They didn't believe them. If you're going to write a story, if you're going to make up a hoax about something, about a Messiah who comes back to life, you would not choose in that day and age women to be the first people to tell the story. It would have been discounted, and you wouldn't write it down for people to see in that day and age to keep looking at it because they'd go, eh, this is worthless. But there it is in black and white, those eyewitnesses, the credibility that came. And there it is for people to see over age, over age, over age, that Jesus first gave the message to those dear women that surrounded him in his ministry to show their value and their importance. Well, how about that second one? How many were there? And I say that because, you know, if you're going to create kind of a hoax about something, maybe one, maybe two people can be on it and try to promote it and make it work. Sometimes that happens, but it doesn't really carry. And it made me think about kind of world religions. You know, there's a lot of world religions that are based upon one person's testimony. One person saw something that was revealed to them by an angel, but it's gone now. Nobody else can corroborate that. One person had a vision, and that vision was how they wrote down and described the religion that they now worship in. One person had an experience, but nobody else is there to ever corroborate those things. Nobody is there to say that happened. You know, that's not the case with the resurrection. You heard part of that this morning, and Paul reminds us, and I want you to see that again on the screens. And he says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he goes on to say this, And that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, it's another name for Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, one time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me. Like I said, one person, two people, they promote a hoax. Maybe it would catch on. Maybe a hoax of this magnitude that Jesus had risen. But what do you do when there's hundreds of people who were eyewitnesses who saw this? You know, it's interesting. Someone did the math and said, in a court of law, if you were to give each eyewitness of the resurrection 15 minutes to testify of what they saw back to back, it would take two to three weeks of testimony 24-7 to get through every one of them for them to tell what they had seen. The other thing is, with that many people who saw it, they're going to talk to each other. They're going to compare stories. The one thing you do when you're trying to promote a hoax or promote a lie is that you try to get all the stories to agree. You see that again and again on TV shows with witnesses. If they're all saying the same thing, they know it was all propped up and agreed. Here it is again in black and white, different, different descriptions, different people, different things, all different accounts, and nobody tries to whitewash it, nobody tries to erase it. The eyewitness testimony of so many is right there 
for you and I to read. Well, finally, what were they? And what do I mean by that? Who were these people and what transpired with them? You know, back during the Second World War when General George Patton came in and liberated the concentration camp of Dachau, one of the punishments that he gave the townspeople was to bring them in and parade them through that camp to see firsthand the horrors of what was taking place. And when he asked them why they didn't do anything, they responded, well, we just didn't know this was going on. It was a lie. They believed a lie. All of Germany believed a lie created by a madman named Adolf Hitler. You know what's left when you follow a lie of that magnitude? There's nothing left but what the German people had, shame and guilt and horror that they had to live with the rest of their lives because they believed something they knew wasn't true, but they believed it anyway. Here's the difference with the eyewitnesses, with the people who saw the resurrection. They didn't live in guilt and shame and dread from the things they had seen. Their lives were transformed. They were willing from that point on to go to all the corners of the earth, gripped with truth, gripped with power. They had death threats. They had torture, state criminals, burned at the stake. Whatever happened, they would not stop confessing what they had seen, the truth of what they knew. Here's the thing. This message of the resurrection still today transforms lives. It has that power because it's true. It has the power to take someone that we still see in our world who is willing in the face of terrorism and torture and beheading or whatever happened and to be martyred for the faith and continue to confess to their last breath, Jesus Christ is risen. He is Lord. He is King. He is Savior. How incredible this story is that we hear, that it's not a hoax, that it is the truth, that the accounts are accounts of eyewitness testimony that we see so that you and I can know that the hope that we have in us is sure and certain. You know, Paul says that. I read those few lines where he talked about how sad it is for us if Christ isn't risen from the dead. But he goes on from there. He didn't end. And the verse says this as you go on. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of most all people most to be pitied. And here it is. He goes on to say, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. We have hope. We have life eternal. We do not stand at the grave of our loved ones and wonder what has happened, where they've gone, and we will never see them again. Jesus Christ came into this world to give us this gift eternal for all the world. And it's given to us, and that faith is created by him, and it is a gift, and it is not by us. So we don't look at somebody's life and say, boy, you know, they didn't live too well. I really hope that they go to heaven. No, it's about what Jesus did on that cross to wash us clean and that he rose again to give us that victory. And that's what we preach, as Paul said, and that's what we proclaim, and that's what we stand in as the people of God. Not a hoax but the truth. Christ 
is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.